Private Lender Podcast, Episode 6. Here's the greatest plan in the whole world. Buy it, do not fix it, owner finance it for double, and watch the person making you a payment go over budget fixing up your collateral. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Welcome, everybody, to the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and thank you for joining me today. Episode six. First off, I want to thank everyone who's been providing input, feedback, comments, constructive criticism to me. Thank you for providing it via the website, privatelenderpodcast.com. And I also want to mention, if you go to the Private Lender Podcast website, you can join the Tribe of Lenders while it's still free. On the homepage near the bottom, Go down, enter your name and your email. That's all we ask for. We won't spam you. Or if we do, it's our spam. It won't be anybody else's spam. I can, I can give you my word on that. But the goal with that is it will be a, a Tribe of Lender newsletter that will go out and give practical and actionable, actionable advice. Uh, and it will, it will cost money at some point. But for right now, I want to reward everybody who has found me early on and is listening and sticking with me. Uh, that's, I want to give that back to let you be able to Join that tribe, the tribe of lenders for free. Now, I, I do need to beg a little bit. I, I humbly ask that you go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you're listening to this podcast, whatever platform you're on, please rate and review and help to build the community of private lenders and attract incredible guests and even better subject matter. Uh, with your help, I think we can build something really, really great here, very strong, very educational, and very actionable for everybody. And speaking of incredible guests, today's guest is Mitch Steven. Mitch has a very interesting business model when it comes to real estate investing and that he sells houses with owner financing. Now this is a, a bit of a more advanced concept. So if you're, if you're new to all of this or just, just trying to get started, just bear in mind that this is an advanced concept that requires a private mortgage to Mitch who then wraps another mortgage around it to the end buyer with full disclosure. Everyone knows what's going on ahead of time and can agree to do it or back out. Uh, Mitch does a really great job of explaining his model in this episode and how he uses private money loans and private money lenders to accomplish his investing goals. So I think uh, let's just get straight to it right now and bring in Mitch Steven. Mitch Steven has been a self-employed real estate investor for 20 years. His real estate investing career started at the age of 23 after he read the book, Nothing Down by Robert Allen. Mitch, together with his wife and daughter, have purchased their fair share of local houses. Their company, Independence Day, Inc., has bought and sold over 1,500 properties in and about San Antonio, Texas, since 1996. This company specializes in buying distressed properties with other people's money and selling those properties with owner financing. Mitch, Welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. Thank you uh, for agreeing to be interviewed. And could you give us a uh, fill in your background there? How did you go from zero houses to uh, over 1,500? Um, you know, like a rock swims. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it didn't go very good at first. I mean, it started out bumpy like every other career that I heard of. But, you know, I just... Uh, 
didn't quit and I didn't have a lot of choices and uh, I didn't have a college degree and I was getting older and everyone was kind of excluding me in their conversations and I just kind of got pushed in this corner where I had to start my own business, you know, because if no one's going to pay me more than 12 or $15 an hour, then if I can't make 12 or $15 an hour by myself, then just I'll, I was willing to go starve to death if that was the case. But, you know, lo and behold, the uh, human body is one of the most adaptable things in the world. And when you push it into a corner and say, look, having a job is no longer an option. What are you going to do? It just figures it out, you know? So lucky for me over a period of years, I got it figured out. So how did, how did it start? Were you, did you start off landlording or trying to flip or what was uh, your, well, kind of your no, path? I, I started out trying to collect uh, rent houses and I had, I got up to 25, you know, I went on the road three months on and 10 days off different hotel every night and I saved money and I bought rent houses because that's you know what I thought I was supposed to do and I bought 20 and I stayed on the road for five years until I bought 25 rent houses because I was making 35 you know I needed to make $3,500 a month to come home and and not have to worry about my bills and so I thought well if I buy 25 houses and I make 300 a house positive cash flow that's 70 you know that's $7,500 a month you know Mm -hmm. So it's over double because I knew it wouldn't go perfect. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll get twice as much as I need coming in and hopefully I'll get to keep, you know, you know, certainly I'll get to keep half of it and that'll at least cover my overhead. And then I started, I came home with my 25 houses expecting $300 a house and, and none of it was hitting the bottom line. I was never, I never got that $300 a month positive cash flow because all of the liabilities of being a landlord air compressor and all the profit on the entire that entire house was gone for the year if not a year and a couple of months so um i worked all year at that that rental business and ended up losing like a thousand dollars i didn't make seventy five hundred dollars a month or even thirty five hundred a month i worked all year and lost a thousand dollars for the year and uh i got really discouraged and that's when I learned about mentors. I accidentally hired someone to help me get out of this mess and keep my good credit and my good name. And uh, he taught me how to own and finance houses. I didn't know that's what he was going to do, but that's what he did. And that was 22 years ago and, I don't know, 1,500 some odd houses ago. And it's so important to get the right person to help you because it could have cost me a million, multi, multi, multi-million dollar career if I had quit right there. But I sure. paid the last $10,000 I had to really to get out of the investing business. I was trying to get out. He showed me how to stay in and, and proliferate. Because once I started owner financing houses, I was not only, you know, I, I not only collected down payments, which were way bigger than the deposits I was getting. I was getting, I picked up $3,000 per house on average on 25 houses on down payments because I, I sold them all of the tenants. Uh, or if the tenants didn't want to buy it, I moved the tenants out and I, I found the buyer. So all of a sudden I had $75,000 in the bank, $3,000 a house. And I didn't even believe in the concept. I thought it was shaky. I was shaky on the concept. And even with a doubting belief system, I was able to collect $3,000 per house. This was 22 years ago. So, you know, I was renting these houses for six or 700 bucks a month. And so I was collecting deposits of a thousand to twelve hundred to maybe maybe fourteen hundred dollars so the the down payments were way better than the deposits mostly because it was my money a down payment to down payment the deposit you have to give back 
So all of a sudden I have $75,000 in the bank and that $7,500 I was trying to collect as a landlord was at, I was actually collecting it a hundred percent and it was hitting my bank account every month and there was no cash call for it because I was the bank now. I was just the bank. It wasn't my air conditioner anymore. It wasn't my hot water heater. I had sold it on payment and it was their house. Right. And so the 7,500 came in and it stuck and I looked up one year and you know, I had made a lot of money <laughs> right <laughs> when I was about to quit. <laughs> the old adage, right so when you, I was about to quit. So you didn't give up when you were three feet away from gold. You kept you uh, truck through and uh, you found this, uh, this great vehicle to build wealth. Yep. Three feet away from gold is a great book and a great concept. And I heard Oprah Winfrey interview a lot of people under the concept that just, just beyond the gut wrenching end, devastating end, just beyond that was the silver lining and how many people had got to that brink, but didn't quit. And then the, you know, the, the clouds parted and the sun came out and the angels sang. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what happened to me. Cause, cause really what happened is after I created those notes and that $7,500 a month was coming in to, to be put on top of the 75,000 cash that I had in down payment. Um, I was co- completely happy there. And then the note buyer started calling me uh-huh. and, uh, and then I sold all my notes and I, I ended up making a half a million dollars that year. So I'd never seen probably more than $10,000 in, in my own personal bank account ever. It jumped to 75000 in a very short period of time when I started selling my house and picking up the down payments. And then it started building to over a hundred grand when I started collecting the 7500 a month. And then the note buyers called me and I sold my notes and I jumped up to 500000 It would happen like in a really short year you know like a really short year like holy cow i wonder if i can repeat this now you know i also sure. learned a few new words in the in the process like irs and income tax checks <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you did <laughs> yeah yeah i i regret learning those words ever since i learned them but you know it's a necessary evil right that's that's the uncle sam is the partner that uh takes equity but doesn't put anything in uh, in any yeah. business so well, how, okay. So, um, walk us through your typical deal. Now, these, you said you had your rent houses that you converted into owner financing where you become the bank. So, are you okay, so the, the core belief, the core belief is that a person paying a thousand dollars a month rent would rather pay a thousand dollars to own. Sure. Now, it's not everybody. It's not a hundred percent, but if you like, if you, if you don't get that or you're not on board with, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Like most people would rather own than rent. If you don't, if you're not there with me, then this doesn't work at all. You need to go find something else to do because it is the, it is the driving force behind almost every deal I've done. And if you're not on board with it, then it's the answer to all the questions that people have too. So it goes right back to that core belief. So let's say we got a person that pays a thousand dollars a month rent. First thing we have to do is we have to establish what, what can I sell, sell that house for? Instead of renting it, what can I sell it for so that the person in it has a payment that's just about the same as his rent? So we take the rent, and I have a formula. So if you've got a pencil and paper, you might want to hurry and get that out. Um, so I can back into the rent to establish an owner finance value. Look, I haven't invented very much, Keith, in my life because it's really hard to like find something original. But I may be the, I may be the guy who coins the OSV. 
the owner finance value. I, I like it. And uh, that, is, that is that is 100% yours. I've never heard that. Uh, well, I, I think so, but you know, it's hard to tell. It's a big world out there, but I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure the words OFV or the initials OFV kind of are coming around because of the conversation I've been having for the last six, seven years with people. So to find out the OFV, the owner finance value of a property, we take the rent and we subtract the monthly taxes and the monthly insurance from that rent because this guy has a thousand dollars a month and he needs to figure out what, you know, what he can pay for a house. And we know that he's going to have to pay taxes and insurance every month. So that's not our money. So we have to subtract that. So let's say the taxes and the insurance are 150 bucks. So you take a thousand dollars and you minus 150 and you're left with um, 850. That's how much money this person has left over for principal and interest and or maybe possibly an escrow servicing fee. But let's leave the escrow servicing fee out of the equation right now. So the rent minus the taxes, the insurance equals 850 bucks. If we multiply that number by 115, which is just the multiplier that I picked out so that I didn't have to have a financial calculator so that I could get close to the amount of money that they needed to, that they could finance and have a payment of 850 if we use the terms 10% in 30 years. So I took the terms 10% in 30 years and I found a multiplier that in the price range of houses that I deal in, which was, you know, 150,000 or less, that this multiplier would get me really close. So 850 times 115 equals uh, right at $98,000. Okay. I'm going to round that number off to 98,000 because I don't deal in weird numbers. I just deal in thousands. The owner finance value is even 96,000 or 99,000. In this case, that math comes out to 97,750. So I just push it to 98,000. This guy can afford to finance $98,000 at 10% for 30 years and come up with a principal and interest payment pretty close to 850 a month. So if he can afford to finance 850 a month, I mean, I'm sorry, if he can afford to finance 98000 with a payment of 850 a month, what does that make the sales price of this house? So we're going to add 12% on top of 98000 and that is the owner finance value. We'll put that, we'll round that off too. We'll put it at 110000 is the owner finance value of this price. So here's the formula straight out with no conversation in between. The rent minus the taxes minus the insurance equals amount they can pay for the amount they can pay for principal and interest times 115 equals the amount they can afford to borrow plus 12% equals the owner finance value minus 50% of the rehab cost or the estimated repair cost if it needs repairs you you, you minus 50% of what the repair cost is out of the take 50% off of the OFV for repairs Yes. And the reason why we take 50% off is instead of 100% is because the person buying the house never charges himself labor. He just says, when I say it's going to cost 20000 to fix this house, they incessantly argue with me that it's only going to cost 10000 that they can do it for 10000 And I finally figured out why they keep saying that. Because they're not charging themselves for their hours. They're just charging for material. Okay. So, so you're, you're, client your uh my client's probably going to buy this house and fix it up himself right okay yeah so that's that's kind of that's that's the model here this house probably needs some repair maybe not a whole lot but you know updating maybe fresh coat of paint that tenant that buyer is now going to come in they're going to fix it up 
and yeah, the buyer, and they're probably going to live in it later as soon as they get it fixed up. I buy Walmart houses for Walmart people. I buy simple houses uh, in simple areas, in the in, in affordable price ranges, not ghettos, not war zones, mm-hmm. um, and. I find that if I get up off the bottom a little bit, my the stability is a lot greater. Like when I was owner financing houses with sales price owner finance values of fifty, sixty thousand, I have a lot more turnover than if I owner finance houses at a hundred to hundred and ten to hundred and fifteen, because the economic strata that chooses to live in that house is is a little more stable. Gotcha. Okay. And, and so. Here's the greatest plan in the whole world, Keith. The greatest plan in the whole world. Let's hear it. Buy it. Buy it. As far as I'm concerned, little old Mitch Stephen, in my humble opinion, here's the greatest strategy for building wealth on the whole planet as far as I'm concerned. Buy it. Do not fix it. Owner finance it for double and watch the person making you a payment go over budget fixing up your collateral. (laughs) Yeah. That's the greatest plan in the world. First of all, where's all the money lost in the fix and flip? Uh, strategy where you buy it and then you fix it up and you flip it. It's lost in the rehab. You make your money when you buy. This is another thing I coined. Maybe I've coined two things in my life. There's a, there's a saying out there that says you make your money when you buy. Yeah, well, I added the tagline to that. Uh, you make your money when you when you buy and Mitch Stevens says you lose it in the rehab. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so if you don't do a rehab, it's pretty hard to lose money on a rehab, right? But if, I wish I could see your audience. Everybody out there that's gone over budget on a rehab, raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar or you've never done one. So <laughs> right. I, I suggest, I suggest. Now, maybe on that one day when it just needed carpet, you didn't go over budget. But, but on any kind of major rehab to speak of, we go over budget. Everyone does. I do still. I'm a professional. 1,500 houses. I still can't hit a number on a rehab because I always go in and then I want to make it a little nicer than I thought at first or I found more problems than I thought at first or, you know, something happens. I get ripped off by a contractor or somebody and I just go over budget. You know, like, I don't know. There's a thousand ways to go over budget, I guess, because I've probably done all of them. <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, so, so, so you lose your money in the rehab. So if you don't do a rehab, I mean, it's so great to watch my buyer go over budget, fixing up my collateral. I mean, it's like, wow, this is really cool. Look, he's gone. Oh, now he's 15,000 over budget. This is great. (laughs) The collateral has granite countertops. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's worth the house is, you know, I bought it for 20. I owner financed it for 40 and now it's worth a hundred. Holy cow. This is wonderful. Then the guy calls up and asks, you know, hey, can I get an extension on my whatever? No, can't get an extension on anything. I'll be happy to. I'll be happy to have your house if you can't make your payment. Right. Um, takes a lot of heat off. That being said, we don't want to make a business out of taking pulling people's houses out from under them or or or, or uh, planning on people's failures. That's not the idea at all, and I don't think that's a very good business plan. But no, it's, in yeah. theory, you know, you're in a good position when stuff like this happens. So the other thing that um, happens when you don't do a rehab is time. What if every house you bought, you could put up for sale the next day? <laughs> yeah. Wow. What a concept. <laughs> Jeez. It's for sale with the dog poop on the carpet and the broken window. All just leave it like it is. You know, um, let's see how much money someone has. Maybe someone only has 2000 for a down payment. Well, how about this? I'll take you 2000 you mow the yard that's up to my chin in grass, 
you trim the trees and you take out all the trash and you rip out all the carpet that has those hundred piles of dog poop on them. You roll that up and take that to them. And when you've done all that, I'll consider that you've had, you, you've got a $5,000 down payment instead of two. You'll have two cash and then you'll have three sweat equity. Oh, there you That'll go. Be 5, so I don't touch the houses because I'm trying to see, um, you know, if someone shows up with 10 grand say, Hey, for you know, 10 grand down, I'll, I'll mow the yard, take it all off the carpet and get it kind of straightened out for you, you know, mm. or I'm, you know, but that's another reason not to fix up a house is time. And then last but not least, if you don't fix up a house, you have less money in every house. So you can buy more houses with the money you have. You know, if you buy a house for 20 and it costs you 20 to fix it up so you can sell it for 80, well, you can ultimately you had 40 in the house and you doubled it and you sold it for 80. But you lost a lot of time in the middle. And usually what happens is you end up with 50 or 55 in the house and you sell it for 80 because you went 10 or 15 over budget. So you, your equity is not even double anymore. You know, it's not even double of what you what you have in the house because you went over budget and your estimates got kind of sideways. So, but if you buy a house for twenty and you don't put anything into it, you owner finance it for forty, you for sure got a double. And there was no risk of of going over budget because you didn't do anything. And you can buy two houses like that instead of one, and probably get them all done in less time than the one with the rehab. That's you know, I've been I've been going over uh, some some of your books and and your system that you've developed, and I think that's the beauty of it is that you take so much of the headache out of it. You take out the contractors, you take out the leaky toilet, or like you said, the air conditioner compressor that ruins all your cash flow. All of that is removed. You're still in a very secure position with your note. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's impressive. That's what I, that's what, one of the things I like about owner financing is buying a house as is selling it on terms, collecting interest payments for the next 10 to 30 years, depending on the, on the deal. And yeah, I've, so let's talk about let's talk about the private lender. He's yeah. in a much better position too. Would a private lender rather be in a house at fifty five thousand that you sold for eighty, or would he rather be in a house that you bought for twenty that he put that he loaned you twenty for, and then you owner financed it for forty, but then the guy who bought it from you for forty made it worth a hundred. Where, where does your private money guy want to be? He wants to be in the twenty thousand dollar investment with the collateral of a house that's worth a hundred. Not the $55,000 house that's worth eighty. He wants to be in the $20,000 house that's worth a hundred. Absolutely. So there's, a, there's all kinds of wins in the don't fix it situation. It, it, just like everything else, it takes a little bit of learning the nuances to find the right people for, for that kind of job. You get a lot of people that want to do the house. You, you'll get less, you know, out of, a, out of 10 people that say, yeah, I want to I give 2000 and clean up the house and then I'll go fix it up. You know, out of 10, you know, four of them could really go fix the house, if even four. So you got to say, you got to become good at saying, figuring out, well, all these people want to do it. Who can really do it? Who's really going to do it? Who's really going to fix up the house and not give up? And you can, there's ways to figure out who that guy is by asking certain questions and asking for certain documentation and just kind of, you know, doing your research and follow up and, and assessing it's part of your normal due diligence when you're looking for that. A little bit different. A little bit different. You have to check. The hardest part is like checking their to figure out if they have the skill to remodel a house. If they're not a professional remodeler in the trades, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for a living. Sure, that that makes sense. Yeah. So let's let's uh, walk us through. You've you found a property. It's distressed. 
You've, you, you put a contract on it. So let's go back to your $20,000 purchase example. Now, no, I got the example. I got one memorized, but it's not a 20,000 example. Okay, let's okay. Go back. whatever numbers work. I got one. So I find a house I, I can buy all in for 52. I'm sorry, for 50, for 50,000. I always borrow 2,000 extra at least. So I borrow 52. Why do I borrow 2,000 extra? Because it costs me about $2,000 to find this kind of house. They're not just, you know, at the supermarket for me to grab off the shelf. I have to go find these people. Right. And that costs a little bit of money, a little bit of marketing, some research, and some effort. So I always, I always, you know, I buy 100 houses a year. If I leave $2,000 worth of marketing in every single house I buy this year, I'll leave $200,000 laying around. Keith, you got $200,000 leave laying around? Because I don't. I don't. No. Okay. So there's that answer. So I borrow 52. I borrow my money, and you might want to write these terms down. I borrow money at 8% interest only, five years, non-recourse collateral only, and I borrow it from private people. I give these private lenders the first lien on my house. So I borrow 52. My private lender has a $52,000 lien on this house, and he's promised 8%. And this is what I tell my private lenders, you know, I have the right to pay you the 8% or I have the right to bring you the deed to this house. And I can exercise either one of those rights anytime I want to with my chin held high because that's the terms. And if you don't like the house, don't do the deal. If you can't imagine what to do with this house when you get it and make some money off of it, don't do this deal. So nice. I got a true collateral only loan. I put it right, you know, right up front with my people. Now that being said, I've never given up a house in my life. Uh, because I know if I give houses back to doctors, even though it's a money maker, they won't loan me any more money because that's not what they do. Over fifteen hundred homes, uh, and you've never sent one back to the lender. Never, ever, never been foreclosed on, never filed bankruptcy, never had Chapter Seven, never Chapter Thirteen, never gave a lender back a house ever. And knock on wood, Excellent. it'll take some kind of cataclysmic catastrophe for it to happen. Because I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Because I, I keep myself in check. I police myself. So I got this $52,000 house. I borrowed at 8%. My payment is, let's just call it 350. It's like 342 and some change or whatever, but for round numbers, I owe this, I owe 350 a month. Okay. And then I owner finance it next week. You know, I put the signs out around the neighborhood and in the yard and I, I owner finance it for a hundred with 90,000 down. I mean, sorry, a hundred with 10,000 down. Okay. I wish I get 90,000 down. That's a heck of a down payment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 10,000 down. So I got to sell it for a hundred with 10,000 down and I'm carrying a balance of 90,000 at 10% for 30 years. Okay. So I'm collecting 850 principal and interest. And then I got to pay out 350 to my private lender. So I'm clearing 500 bucks on this transaction of which I am not a landlord, which is going to hit my bank account for potentially 360 months, 360 months times $500 per month is 180,000 due to me in the future, potentially. So I collected uh, 10,000 down. I, had, I got my $2,000 budget back when I, I got 2,000 put back in my pocket when I bought the house, so there's 12,000. And then I'm due 180,000. So that's $192,000 that I stand to make off a house I bought for 50 grand. Do you see how you might get rich in this business? Absolutely. Yeah. So. So here's my, um, here's my private lender sitting at 52% loan to value. I, I sold loan, let's, let's clear that up, loan to owner finance value. 
because the owner finance value is not is not the MAA appraiser's value or the CMA, the current market analysis, or the BPO, the broker's professional opinion. The, 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 the owner finance value has nothing to do, nothing to do with comps or, or solves in the last six months. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with rent. And this is where you where you'll have to go back to that core belief when you're talking to your private lender. Private lender will get on the phone with you and maybe say, well, I was looking at that house and it's only worth like 85000 on the tax rolls. Or I had my realtor do some comps and it's only worth 85000 That's when you got to go back to your private lender and say, hey, you told me that you believed in the core belief that a person paying 1000 would rather pay 1000 to own. Did you change your mind or are you still in on that? Because if you change your mind, then this, 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 this whole thing doesn't work for you. If I just need to bring you back to the reason why I can sell these houses like that, and you're back on board, okay. Because this person can't get a new loan, and this person can't get the $85,000 price because they can't hand a big check to somebody all at one time via cash or loan. And I'm simply offering this person a chance to own a home for the same amount, give or take 50 bucks, for what they were paying as rent. The separator being the down payment. So my private lender is got $52,000 in this example at risk, and I've just proven it can be sold for $100,000 with $10,000 down today. Lord only knows what it could sell for in three years or five years if the house ever comes back. But that's my basic model that I do over and over and over again. That's, uh, that's great. Let me, I, I do have one question. You're borrowing 8% three years interest only. Five years. Oh, five sorry. Years. Oh, five years. I'm sorry. Five years. 30 years selling at 30 years. Okay. Five years. Are you? You're very help? astute, Keith. You caught that train wreck right there, didn't you? You said <laughs> there's a train wreck coming here in five years. What the heck happens in five years? Well, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so do you, do you refi with your, your lender? Do you cash them out? What, uh, what's your strategies there? Well, I wrote like four or five pages on this at my at my blog, 1000houses.com. Go to my blog and look at the the, the blog article called uh, Why I Borrow at the Terms I Do. But uh, I can't get through all of it, but there's so many ways to to uh, to work around this 5-year balloon period. It's not funny. It's not even funny. But number 1, um 30,000 people that Excuse me. Is it just a thirty thousand foot view of your strategies? You don't have to get in the in the in the well, depth. But. No, I'm going to, so I'm going to hit some of them. Number one is I already told. Now I've never done this, but I've already told my lenders that if I gave them back, you know, I have the right to pay or give them the house. So let's just say I got five hundred dollars a month coming in for sixty months, and I collected ten thousand down, and I got my two thousand dollar rehab back. So what's five hundred times sixty months? That's thirty thousand, right? Yes. Plus the ten thousand down, that's forty thousand. Plus I got my two thousand dollar advertising budget back, so that's forty two thousand in in five years that I've made. So if this was a plan to buy these houses and collect forty two thousand over five years and then it's over, that's not a bad plan. <laughs> that's not a bad plan, you know, as far as the the investor is concerned. Right. Um, the reason why you don't do that is because your your lenders. Um, they don't want houses, even if they're lucrative houses, because it's not what they do, or they're too old, or they don't want to work or think. They want to play golf. That's why they're retired. That's why they gave you the money. But point. the other thing is lenders, private lenders don't want their money back. My biggest problem right now is 
when I pay my lenders back, they get mad at me. They want their money out working at 8%. When is it getting out, Mitch? Why did you pay me off? So if I got to the end of five years and I really wanted to, um, to keep going at interest only, I could just find another lender to replace them because someone's always paying me off. And, that, and my private lenders don't like that. If it was up to them, their money would – of course, they won't sign a 20-year note because there's this thing in them that says, I'm not going to live that long, and why would I do that? But, but, when you, but they, they end up having their money with me for 20 years. Yeah. I've had my investment for 10, 15, 20 years. As a matter of fact, I pay seven widows right now because I've had people's money out so long that the, the man that I dealt with has passed on. So, but, um, so then I could sell the note. What do you think, you know, when a note pays you for four, three, four years and gets seasoned and, and uh, you know, you can sell a note. I sell my notes for par. I don't sell my notes for a discount. That's another conversation. But I, if, I, if I ever want to sell a note, which I don't anymore, but if I ever do sell a note, I don't take a discount. And I can explain that one day. Um, I'd love to have, love to have to you back bank. on and have you talk about that in another episode somewhere in the future. But uh, sorry, continue. Sure. Um, I can call, I can call I, I, after a lender gets uh, comfortable with me, I can call them back and say, hey, do you like this money coming in? I said, you know, you, I, it's two years into a five-year balloon. I don't want to wait till the last minute. Um, do you, would, would you like to start amortizing this and make it a 10-year note or a 15-year note? Or or you want to just stick with the interest only in the five years because they might have gotten comfortable and like your style and like that check on the first and they might just convert to amortizing for you and you won't know if you don't ask because they don't think about such things. Right. So if they don't, you can talk to a bank and I just did this, Keith. I just finished doing this like a month ago. I made my first payment last month. I had borrowed 1.8 million from my private lenders at 8% and I bought 35 houses with their money. And then I sold those 35 houses for 3.6 million on owner financing. So I bought 1.8 from a bunch of private lenders and I bought a bunch of houses and I sold those bunch of houses for 3.6 million. And those people still owe me 3.2 million. The people in the houses still owe me payment and their balances total 3.2 million. So I told the bank, I want to pledge that $3.2 million worth of notes that they owe me. I want to pledge my notes for $1.8 million. And I want to refinance out my 8% private lenders. And the bank said, okay, we'll give you a 15-year term with a 10-year balloon at 4.22% floating interest rate, but with a 6.5% cap and no, no covenants which means the only way they can call this note is if I don't make payments or I don't give them my financials to satisfy their regulators every year. So there you have it. I went from 8% to 4.22%, changed my cash flow 80,000 a year on those 35 houses. And, um, but I don't see that cash flow in my, in my bank account. I see it on my um, financial statement because that 80,000 is the principal reduction every year on the 35 houses. You know, before I had 8% interest only, now I have 4.22%, but it's principal and interest payment. So I, some of that payment that comes in now goes to the, that goes out now goes to the principal. So it, it makes me worth $80,000 more a year, but my cash flow stayed the same as before I made the loan because, uh, you know, the principal reduction. And these are just a few ways. I mean, there's a, you know, 
when it comes time to the five-year balloon, here's a way. Why don't you just write a check and pay the guy off? Because if you're doing business the way I'm teaching you to do it, you'll have the cash to pay it off. Or how about this? Why don't you take that, that $50,000, $52,000 balance and pay half of it down? Pay it down to $25,000. Put $27,000 towards principal out of your pocket and reduce your debt to your private lender for $25,000 and go find some new guy that has a lot of money that you'd like to get in the business with. You'd like for them to loan you money and say, hey, I have a house that has a $25,000 balance and I can pledge a note that still has $85,000 left on it. Would you please loan me twenty-five thousand if I gave you a note worth eighty-five thousand and the house was worth now a hundred and ten? You know, this is how you, this is how you mine for private lenders. You make no-brainer deals by keeping some of your money in, putting some of your money in. So let's run it again. In this case, it's been like say uh, five years. My note buyers paid from ninety thousand down to eighty-five, so it only was the eighty-five thousand now. But I've just been paying principal, uh, uh, I'm sorry, interest only. So I still owe 52000 Right. And uh, it's, it's time to handle the balloon. I could take 27000 of my money and, and reduce my balance by down to twenty five, And then I could just walk around town and say, who wants to replace my private lender over here? I need 25000 and I'll pledge a note worth eighty five. You know, if you can't get that done, maybe 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 we need to think about a different business because <laughs> that's about as easy as it gets. Yeah. And I use those deals when I have that kind of deal or I want to do that kind of thing. I use that to get introduced to a new private lender. You know, I don't need to take a a twenty five loan against an eighty five hundred dollar eighty five thousand dollar note to someone I'm already established with. I need to use that kind of deal to bring someone in that's completely new that has, you know, that you assume has a bucket full of money. Sure. And that you need to get introduced to them. You need to have a chance to, to, to work with them, even if on just one little tiny deal so you can start to have a relationship. This is how you build those relationships with no brainer uh, uh, loan opportunities. No, absolutely. Bring it, bring them into the fold and, and uh, you give them that, uh, a good sense of security up front on a, like you said, a no brainer, the needle in the haystack deal. And, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, no, it made, that makes, that makes so, total so, sense. So if you have a $52,000 interest only loan and you sold a house that that's at 10% 30 years and the balance is 90,000, I've done the math. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's like 17 or 18 years before your payer owes what you owe your lender. 17 or 18 years, what will a house be worth or what, you know, what will things be worth in 18 years? Heaven only knows, right? But we're going to assume a lot more than today. So there's not a lot of pressure on this, but you have to, you do have to be thinking ahead. Now, the other thing you can do is you could, if, if you're a person of means, you could go get some credit lines that you just convert to amortizing every time you do one. I've had those, but I don't talk about it a lot because most of the people that start out in this business are not that sophisticated and are generally broke when we start out. So I like to talk to people as if they're broke all the time, because if you learn to do this business when you're broke, then you'll know how this business really works. And if you do run into some money or you do get an inheritance or win the lottery, you'll be really equipped to not blow it. I like uh, that. So and people that come to me, people that come to me with money say, look, I got like $700,000. I want to get in your business. Will you be my coach? I said, yeah, here's the first thing we do. Take the $700,000 pay me my fee and then put the rest of it in the CD for two years. And if you can't figure out how to do this business in two years without money, 
don't even touch that money and, and try to get in because you're going to lose it. Wow. That's interesting. Right? Yeah. Because isn't that right? If you, people that get in with a lot of money, they write checks too easy. Yeah. They're not forced to do things in an economic fashion because they're broke. You know, I was forced to go get deals that had 45 days before they could close so I could go find somebody that had the money to buy it from me. And I didn't have anything at risk but a $10 earnest money. Kind of hard to go broke. Well, I could go broke at $10 because I didn't have any money. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> but you get my drift. It's Absolutely. Hard to get on a deal, if, if you don't have any money to put in it and you're actually having to work theories that deal with no money. You know, yeah. when you don't have money, Keith, you're, sub, you're, you're substituting expertise and time you know these no money down deals first of all there's no such thing because just driving your car to look at one costs money but but in theory no money down deals you're substituting your lack of cash with an abundance of expertise and time sure and that's how you do it and in the beginning when you're broke you're you're, you're a professional deal writer this is where the people that say yeah we've heard that crap about you could be in a in the real estate business with no money, but that's all a bunch of BS. It's not BS. You, you, when you don't have money, you become a professional deal writer. You become a professional deal finder and you're tying up deals that are such great deals. Like, like that one that you could buy for 50,000. That's worth a hundred thousand. And those deals are so good that now you have a leverage to go find someone else to put up the money and you got to give up part of your deal. So, when you're broke, you're a professional deal writer and you're a professional deal finder. And if you learn to find these deals and write them upright with enough time, then you can walk around town with your contract and find the money. Make no mistake. It is not you that finds the money. Well, it's you that finds the money, but it's the deal that attracts it. Right. You're walking on legs. You've got your arms over your head holding your contract and you've got your legs walking through town and you've got a mouth and it's saying, hey, all you guys with money, look at me. You want to make some money? You want to make some money? They will come over, and then the deal's the one that, that, that pulls them in and Absolutely. signs them up. The deal's what does it. If it's a deal, the money will follow. Yeah, if you find a deal. Absolutely. That's another thing people don't want to believe. But the day that I owned the concept in my heart that I didn't need money to play this game, was the day that my whole life changed. And I read Robert Allen, and it took me seven years to own the concept in my heart. I heard what he wrote. I read what he wrote. I understood what he wrote. But I didn't own the concept in my heart until one day I accidentally did a nothing down deal, and the light bulb went off, and the social proof was right in front of my face because I just did it, if only by accident. And I said, boom, wow, that's what Robert Allen was talking about. I could do this forever and never need a dime. But owning it in your heart and reading it is two different things, right, Keith? Oh, absolutely. You know, and this, and that's, I'm, I'm so glad you came on to help explain this because when getting over, you know, like you said, the OFV, that owner finance value has nothing to do with looking on the MLS to see what other homes have sold. I mean, that, that is certainly a criteria, but it's, it's out of the norm of what your typical real estate investor or typical investor is used to. And so I'm, I'm, that's, I'm really glad you explained the OFV and how you get to it because I, I agree. Someone who's going to pay $1,000 a month in rent would rather have something at the end of 30 years for that same amount of money. Um, than, well, we could talk about that forever. The realtors sometimes, because yeah. I'm going to tell you, in the recession, 
there, there's this big conversation we need to have about my this business. I, if there is such a thing as a recession-proof business, the owner finance model might be it. Let me tell you why. In 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 the recession of 2008, 2009, 2010, whatever, the the housing prices had collapsed in the lesser parts of town. Even in the in the better parts of town, they were dropping too. But but in the lesser parts of town, hell, they couldn't get a loan uh, when times were good. And now the banks had clammed up, and they weren't giving anybody a loan. So all the sales in the lesser parts of town were cash. Seventy percent of the sales were cash in my hometown in certain neighborhoods and areas. This happened because of what always happens in a recession. Either the cause of the recession or the, or the knee-jerk reaction of the recession is the banks quit lending. They quit lending. So what happens to the prices of houses when no one can get a loan to buy a house? They drop, right? Yeah, the result of a recession, the banks clam up. When no one can get a loan to buy a house, housing prices drop. Because no one can get a loan. The money, the money that everyone was using to buy houses is dried up. So now it's only up to cash buyers, and that's drastically limited compared to people who borrow money to buy houses. So the houses drop. When no one can afford to buy a house or no one can buy a house because the banks aren't lending, what happens to rent, Keith? When, when banks aren't lending and nobody can buy a house, they rock it. Yeah, what happens to rents? They're going up. No one can buy, so what are they doing? They're renting, so there's all this pressure on the rent. What's my core belief? How do I establish the owner finance value? What's my core belief, Keith? Someone who's paying $1,000 a month in rent would rather own it. Or, or spend that $1,000 Yeah. If the rents are going up, what's happening to my owner finance value formula? If the rents are going up in the middle of a recession and my, and my sales price is based on the rents because I back into the rents, my owner finance price was appreciating in the middle of a recession. I was buying at the low of the low because no one could get money. And guess what? I didn't need banks' money to buy houses because I was using private money. Then I was selling at the high of the high because you know why? I didn't need banks to sell my house because I was owner financing it. I didn't need a bank on either end. I'm the only guy open in the recession. And I'm selling for the highest price I've ever sold for because rents are higher than they've ever been because no one can buy a house. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Keith. That's what I love about this. Your model is it is truly alternative investments. No Wall Street, no banks, just, you know, a true private lending story. And that's why I, I, I rushed to get you on. I, I love the idea uh, and, and your model that, you, uh, that you, you do business with. So if, if, uh, if you do pretty good in the good times and you boom in the recession, exactly when is it you go broke? <laughs> if you're smart, you don't. Well, there's, you know, there's always a way to, you can, no matter how good a plan is, you can always screw it up, right, Keith? Oh, life can always get in the way. Yeah. 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 So you, you, you can screw it up if A, you, you don't have integrity because lawsuits will break you. B, if you don't conform with some state and federal stuff, because that can get you in trouble. And C, you can't over leverage. You can't over leverage because when the economies do turn, you'll be upside down. So I never let my private lenders in over 65% of the owner finance value. Never. If I want a house that, uh, that you know, let's say I want to buy a $100,000 house in a super hot neighborhood that has eight days on the market, and I know I can sell this house in no time and make a $30,000 profit if I buy it for 70, then I borrow 65 from my private lender and I have to put in the other five myself or the other five plus closing costs or whatever. 
I never let my private lenders in over 65%. And at the beginning of this conversation, I told you I've been successful and never had to give anyone's property back because I police myself. And that's where a large part of that policing comes in. I, I stay compliant. I do things, everything uh, through Dodd-Frank, and I comply with RMLOs. I, I do not get in lawsuits with people. I've been in three lawsuits in my whole life. Those would never happen today because I never would have sold houses to those people today. Those people were going to sue someone no matter who they bought a house from, and I was the lucky winner. Um, I fought two of them on principle and one, They cost me $40,000 to win, and then my insurance company took on the other one, and I didn't have to worry about it. Uh, but we won all three of them. But the point is, I don't get into lawsuits. I, I think 1,500 houses in 22 years to find three assholes, for lack of better words, that we're going to sue anybody anyway, that's a pretty good record. Today, those people would never, those three people would never make it two feet in front of in, inside my door. And I'll tell you exactly how all three of them happened. I bent over backwards to help someone who really didn't deserve a house get one, and then they didn't want to leave when they couldn't pay. And so that deal, no good deed goes unpunished, is is applicable in the in all three of my lawsuits. None, of, I I bent over backwards for people that I felt sorry for, and it cost me dearly. Yeah. So these days, I don't help people anymore. I I I'll assist people that can help themselves. There you go. That's that's I like that. You know, yes. if I want to give charity, I give it to the church. They don't sue me very often. <laughs> right. Well, Mitch, uh, unfortunately, we're we're running out of time, and I I'm loath to stop you uh, this conversation. But unfortunately, we'll do it again. Have another yeah, time. We can we'll do it another. Definitely. Time. Yeah, we'll definitely come on again. I just I just want to uh, wrap up with a a few questions that you you know you'd mentioned uh, the Robert Allen book, but I'm curious what's on. What's on your coffee table or your nightstand right now? What are you, what are you currently reading? I'm rereading a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. I love that book. Which is a, a, a Christian way to do business that if you do it like this, you know, you'll never have to look for a customer because they'll be lined up outside your door, really, because you're the guy to go to because everyone trusts you. And, or the, you know, it's, it's all about the golden rule, brother. What goes around comes around. You yeah, do bad business, you make bad things happen. You do good business, good things happen. Oh, that's what I tell people when they're interested in private lending and say, look, if you want to lend so that you can take back houses, that's the wrong approach to take. You know, it, that's horrible. That's you will, horrible you may take back a house. You may or may not, depending if you structure things right. But if you go into that with that mindset, I was like, please don't listen to my podcast. That's not what we're about. This is, you know, win-win for everybody, uh, all, all sides of the deal. And um, yeah, I mean, what, yeah, what goes around comes around. Golden rule, karma, come back and bite you. But no, I totally, I totally yeah, agree. I, I, I wrote a blog. One of my blogs is, um, I think it's win-win situations or seven ways win. Um, but you wouldn't believe how this model, how many wins there are. There's wins for the lender. There's wins for the buyer. There's wins for the community. There's wins for the taxing authorities. There's wins for the um, contractors. There's wins for the, uh, the schools. There's, it just goes on and on and on. You ought to read it. I was surprised. I was going to like, try to follow how, how many people are affected when people like you and I take a crack house and then make it into an eighty ninety thousand dollar viable home yeah and I started going into that and the, the amount of wins is incredible and that's what it's all about the, you know the more people that get affected the more people that get uh, are say affected the more people that are helped or uh, improve their situation in some way 
uh, the better. And that's what I love. I love about the model. Uh, you, you mentioned in your blog, how do, how do people get in touch with you? How, what's, what's your website? And I know, I know you have your own podcast as well. So why don't you uh, give the audience uh, the, the, the methods by which they can, they can contact you or learn more about you? Okay, well, you can find my books that are all underneath My Life in a Thousand Houses. I have a series of books under the My Life in a Thousand Houses series. You, but you can see all those books either on Amazon or you can go to my website, 1000houses.com, which is 1000houses.com. And you can listen to my podcast if you want. And I'll have to have you on, Keith, uh, about private. Let's do one on private lending. Absolutely. Um, but it's reinvestorsummit.com. reinvestorsummit.com. Um, I say investor weird because I don't want anyone to think I put an S on the end of it. But So reinvestorsummit.com. And I've interviewed over 200 and some odd people there. And uh, Keith, you're next. Well, thank you. And I, I just, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you one last question. And, and that is sure. to, you know, to someone who is listening to this thinking I, I, I might want to be a private lender. You know, I've got a good day job, but I've got a, you know, an old 401k, some extra cash. What bit of advice could you give to somebody who's wanting to become a private lender? How to, how to get going, or maybe it's to change their mindset or help them understand the process. Well, it's a tenuous world out there. The first thing you got to do is you got to make sure that your, your business model is sound and that you're, 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 you have a true piece of collateral that is good enough for you, whatever that ratio is, it's good enough for you in the event you don't get paid. The collateral is key to the whole thing. You don't even have to really be an expert in real estate if you make um, loans with terrific collateral because in the event something happens, the collateral should make you whole or get you very close to being whole, um, but you won't go under. You know, if everyone in Bernie Madoff's, if everyone in Bernie Madoff's scam would have had a hundred thousand dollar house for every sixty five thousand dollars they gave to Bernie, none of them would be broke, not one of them. Nope. Okay. Good point. So I average 58%. So if I'm buying a hundred thousand house, I average borrowing 58,000 on my houses. The other thing is you got to get the real paperwork. My lenders almost always call me some at some point in time because they watched an episode of American greed where people were borrowing money for houses and got burned. This is the difference. When you get your papers, they need to be, they need to be, filed at the county courthouse and they'll have time stamps on the sides of the pages or the edge of the pages time date stamp and there'll be a notarized signature from the county clerk of that county and that means you and then you should be able to get on the computer if not in a couple of weeks because some some counties are slow to get data in but eventually a week or two they get it in and you should be able to go to the computer and pull up the address of that house and see you as the lien holder that you know those pieces of paper plus being able to get on the computer and see your lien online is proof is proof that you've loaned your money to someone who is treating you right and doing it right and giving you a true first lien position. Uh, the only other way to I mean say true is you have to have it insured by a title company. So make sure you get the right documents. Make sure that you got title insurance protecting your position on title, and then uh, make sure that your collateral is what you think it is. Excellent. That's the three main things. Mitch, that was, that was great. I'd like to thank you again for coming on the Private Lender Podcast and, and sharing your most valuable asset with us today. That's your, that is your time. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you in the future. And I wish you prosperous investing. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Keith. It was my pleasure. I hope your audience enjoyed it. Oh, I'm sure they did. Take care. 
All right, that wraps it up with Mitch. If you'd like to learn more about Mitch's investing style or his coaching or any of his products or his books, go to the show notes page at privatelenderpodcast.com for more information. Well, that's it for today, Lender Nation. I appreciate you coming by and listening. And I want to thank you for sharing your most precious asset with me today, your time. I wish you prosperous lending, happy investing, and ask that you remember that you can lend more than just money in this world. So go out and try to make a difference in someone's life. I look forward to seeing you all in the next episode. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time.